Hello and welcome to Dear Percival, the podcast showcasing the character Danny Savarino from the wonderful new novel People of Bloomsbury by the equally wonderful author and poet Mr DJ Swales. Now this is episode seven and uh, this one is called Shakespeare and Company. Right, let's make a start, shall we? In 2016, I returned from Paris after a fruitless week petitioning for assistance from the French police force. There had been a suspected sighting of my parents in Mayotte, a French-governed Indian Ocean Territory in the Comoros Islands. An anonymous email advised that my mother had been selling exquisitely wrapped gift boxes of freshly picked Yang Liang blossoms on a dockside. They were to die for, said the unknown sender. The recycled gift boxes of fresh flowers smelled heavenly as your mother slipped each inside a large origami-style paper tulip which she folded right before her eyes. Everything was so wonderfully biodegradable too. I'm thrilled that my mother is now an eco-warrior and putting her origami skills to impressive use, I wrote in the first line of my response email thinking. Greta Thunberg has a lot of sailing to do before she ever matches mum's credentials. Meanwhile, my father was sighted labouring up-country at a vanilla plantation. He went by the name of Howdy Doody, while your mother used the name of Venus Asparagal, said the email, and went on to say how impressively fluent they were in the French language. Neither of my parents had ever learned French, Due to my father's Italian origins, I imagined he might pick up the lingo, but not my mother. That's not possible, I replied to the email, clicking send. Immediately, it bounced back. As a girl, on a school exchange to France, my mother was once chased through a burgundy beech forest by an amorous young farmhand who swore his undying love. It was an area where men outnumbered women five to one. Luckily, she eluded him. The trauma occurred at a time she had barely even mastered the names of the house pets and directions to the town hall. Upon her return to Grimsby, she stood up to her ankles in the North Sea and swore, I will never utter another word of our Norman oppressor's language. No sooner had the words passed her lips than a passing gannet doused her in hot guano, confirming that she had been heard by the universe. While in Paris, ignored by the government ministry in question, I tramped past a hundred Marais gay bars in restless search of hidden back-alley bookshops. After browsing in a few shelf-lined treasure troves, I then explored the small vendors who sell from the cabinets that line the River Seine. I had to keep an eye on my watch as that evening I had secured an invite to a basement seance in the after-hours of the iconic Shakespeare and Company bookshop, one of my father's favourites before he disappeared. Mr Bailey and Bartholomew, the host, was an ex-Londoner and a long-term former customer of the Druid's Eye. Twice Mr Bootle had observed Bailey and shoplifting amethyst palm stones. Oh, he always brings me a sausage roll, he explained as to why the thefts went unconfronted. It would be rude of me to say something. 
Balian had become quite the sensation in Paris. His guest lists were legendary, cemented by his promises of exclusivity and his smouldering presence. With bouffant hair, wild eyes, signature upturned shirt collars and flouncy cuffs, he catered his parties with mushroom volovant, sausage rolls and throwback black forest gâteau. Throwback gâteau, more like throw up, said his only bad review on Tripulac. During an interview, while platters of sausage rolls were served, I explored the venerable bookshop. I'm just nipping to the loo, I said, holding my stomach like Demi Moore on the cover of Vanity Fair. Marvellous, then, laughed a supposedly sophisticated lady, whom Balian claimed was a Paris doyenne. She grabbed the ketchup with such force that she almost dislodged her magnificent Cartier tiara. As I made my escape, it clung to her wig with the energy of an exhausted baby koala. A commotion built at my prolonged absence. So, when I emerged in the loo, I called down the stone stairwell. Coming soon! It must have been something I ate! I had spotted something in a corner next to a hundred copies of Jack Kerouac's On the Road that will forever sell like hotcakes to family-funded backpackers and wanderers who harboured romantic notions of themselves as struggling writers living on the edge of penury. It was a small, cramped plywood booth with a low doorway. Why is it so small? I wondered, wincing with back pain as I bent over to investigate the pink and mint painted booth, ogling the small notes plastered on its interior surfaces by visitors. Inside, scores of twinkling fairy lights illuminated a small stool and desk, while plastered on the walls were scraps of paper, love letters and postcards. A babel of languages and scripts saw the space devoted to the whims of visiting tourist lovers and dreamers. They all left a piece of their heart behind, some hoping for a response. We've got to do this too, I thought, as I wrote a note to my parents and pinned it to the wall of the booth. If you see this, get in touch, it said, with a drawing of three stick figures on the beach at Cleethorpes. It was inspired by the time we had to run for our lives, but still sank to our thigh gaps in quicksand until we were pulled free by donkeys. Where the hell are you, Danny? The toilet isn't even tinkling. Did you flush? Boomed Bailey and Bartholomew's voice from downstairs. Come, we must begin. Sorry, I called, tumbling down the staircase in the knowledge that his temper was like dynamite, but with a shorter fuse. I rationalised the situation, saying, I can't use those squatty potties. For the state of my stomach, I didn't want to risk it, so I looked for a popperloo upstairs. You just have to angle yourself properly, said Balian. Besides, it's one of those things where, if you don't get the practice, you'll never master it. What, like shoplifting? I wanted to ask as he stared at my skinny limbs and boasted how squatting had given him the thighs of an Olympic cyclist. The current iteration of Shakespeare and Company was founded by an American chap named George Whitman. He was inspired by Sylvia Beach's original pre-war Paris bookshop of the same name 
an establishment frequented by James Joyce and grand literary doyen Gertrude Stein, the famed sapphic matriarch, who either nurtured or destroyed the egos of the lost generation's waifs and strays. George Whitman, reimagination of Sylvia's bookshop, soon drew in temporary Paris residents such as the Beats, Henry Miller, and a host of other lost romantics eager to inhale any magic that their predecessors had left in their wake. James Baldwin was also a regular visitor and no doubt brought his friend Nina Simone after she had to sell up in America and move to Paris where she was often seen standing outside small Latin quarter clubs inviting people in to watch her perform. During my petitioning of the French police about the sightings on faraway Indian Ocean Mayotte, I lodged on the sofa of Balian's tiny book-strewn studio above a Barber's Rochart barbershop run by a Berber from Tangier. I noted his vast collection of amethyst palm stones but said nothing. The building was a Paris cliché possessed of high ceilings and peeling plaster. It shook like old bones every time the metro passed by. Unfortunately, this did not keep the mice and spiders away, quite the opposite. Balian clung pretentiously to his new city, becoming an insufferable Paris chauvinist in the process. Paris is la belle of the ball, and London is the ugly stepsister, he said, while chomping on the dairy's Cadbury's dairy milk chocolate bar, he asked me to smuggle over in between slurps of Yorkshire tea. I asked him not to guzzle so loudly, expecting him to stop. Mr. Kawakami says slurping is the height of sophistication, Balian replied, telling me about the lauded Osaka-born chef that held court in a local Japanese soba noodle bar. As he spoke, his wild, wandering eyes seemed to search the room, never lingering for more than a second. I soon found out that he was keeping his eye open for spiders. Mr. Kawakami gets all kinds of customers. Princess Stephanie, the chap who played Gollum, and Kenzo, the Japanese designer who has lived here in Paris for decades. Apparently, Kenzo loves a good sausage roll, so I'm thinking of inviting him to my next exclusive do. Outside his seances and spider-infested flat, Balian made sure to be seen eating only the most expensive French and Belgian bonbon, éclair and chocolate truffles while raising his pinky finger to sip luxury tea purchased from Marias Frère. I could never be seen drinking Yorkshire tea in public, he explained in earnest, while catering his parties like he was in a 1980s Birmingham suburb. After Balian learned about Alistair Crowley and Jemima, he was determined that Paris should go one better. We will upstage London and summon a far more sophisticated entity in Shakespeare and Company, he claimed, scoffing at the base idea of a gangland mistress from the rookery of St Giles. I predict we will tempt a sage or a philosopher from the other world, or perhaps even Oscar Wilde from Père Lachaise Cemetery. Jim Morrison will be cool too. The seance attracted ten human participants, but failed to summon the singular spirit of a sage or even a great writer. Oh, Oscar Wilde is too busy having fun in the afterlife, I thought at the time. 
Other lights had dimmed and the table vibrated. A short chant escaped past the tonsils of Mademoiselle Jezebel de Oc, her outline only visible next to me because of the floodlights of Notre Dame Cathedral through a street-level porthole-style window. In her fervent concentration, she almost snapped my arm at the elbow. Another attendee, Gregory, a Ukrainian émigré and newbie clairvoyant, whose skin glistened like greased silver, closed his shoe-like eyes. For interminable seconds, he appeared to be chewing on a gobstopper, then spat out an announcement. A monk has came by the name of Arthur, who's arrived. He insists on entering our circle. Come in, Arthur, come in, begged Mademoiselle Jezebel de Oc, tightening her grip on my elbow. Is there anything you wish us to know? Then she screamed, then threw me an accusatory look like it was a stray cat. Did you pinch my bottom? she asked, her words half strangled by a strange accent. No, I didn't, I replied, trying not to look mischievous as I scanned the table's faces for support. Balian looked away, denying me. It was Arthur, the ghost of the monk, she whispered, still holding my arm. Her eyes bulged in her shocked face as she looked at Balian across the table, who was now seething. All oh, those bloody sausage rolls are nothing, he said, spitting the words. Steam was almost rising from him. In fury that the session had attracted nothing more than a sleazy lech from times past. I wanted a higher form of spirit, he later bemoaned at the flat, while rummaging for the last chunk of low cocoa Cadbury's chocolate. I expected more than a pinched bottom. What do you think has gone on in that basement over the centuries, I asked with a sigh. I was starting to resent Balian's performative Parisian snobbery. Mademoiselle Jezebel de Ox Bottom is hardly the first to ever have been groped down there. What do you think all the monks were doing when there was a monastery there? Not to mention all the young, hormone-filled, backpacking writers and wannabe rock stars that roll into Paris to work as live-in sales assistants at Shakespeare and Company. Where do you think they sneak off to when there's a lull in customer numbers? That basement has always been a den of iniquity in the city of romance. What do you know of romance, Danny? said Balian, eating the last piece of Cadbury's chocolate, in spite of the mouse gnawings on its surface. Le Rose Beef come over here from London and think they can speak of love. As he mocks me, I was transfixed by his chocolate-covered teeth. It had also congealed on his gums. The very next day, Balian abluted, showered and brushed his teeth with the bathroom door open. He gratuitously slurped Yorkshire tea from a huge mug, one fashioned from clay that had been pinched into the face of a troll. In mid-slurp, he insisted that I vacate his sofa, so it sounded like the troll was speaking. Today? I asked. Yes, said the troll. Your aura is really giving me gas. This low vibrational London energy is all over you. This is Paris, the city of light and love. There's no place for you here. After speaking, Balian took the deepest slurp yet from his large mug. Keeping my eyes on those of the troll, I reached for an amethyst palm stone that I knew belonged to Mr. Bootle. Pack up now and I'll walk with you to the metro, said Balian, speaking through the troll's face as milky tea dripped from his beard. The amethyst dropped into the depths of my pocket. 
Right, thank you. That is the end of Shakespeare and Company. Um, that's the end of episode seven of Dear Percival, um, a podcast showcasing the character Danny Savarino, one of many fantastic, wonderful characters written by author and poet Mr. DJ Swales in his new novel, People of Bloomsbury, which is available on Amazon right now as an ebook. Mm. So if you want it into your Kindle, it'll be there. It'll be there before you even know it. But ah, very soon it's going to be available as a paperback. So if you like getting your hands on a book, you'll have to feel it and smell it. Oh, yes, it'll be available soon as well. Oh, and it'll be flopping on your doorstep before you even know it. Thank you. We shall return uh, with episode eight very, very soon. But in the meantime, thank you for listening. Bye-bye.